Alrighty, we're back for another exciting edition of Cloverleaf Radio. I am the host of the most, Jimmy Falcon, and it's an absolute honor to welcome back Gary Jenkins to the show. How's it going, Gary? Well, um, it's going good, Jimmy. It's really great to be back on your show. Yeah, it's always nice to talk to you. I always have liked getting a law enforcement perspective on things, because even going back to like kindergarten, that was like my first dream was to be a cop. Um, is that how it turned out for you? I don't think we've ever talked about your origins in law enforcement. <laughs> no, uh, I wanted to be a cowboy. <laughs> really? So, uh, growing up, and, and uh, then I wanted to be in the military, and then I wanted to be a spy, and and then uh, reality hit when I got out of high school. And, <laughs> and then the police department started hired when I was about 25 or 26. And I hadn't really ever thought about being a cop. As a teenager, we hated cops. All they did was write us tickets. That's the only thing I knew about cops is they write you traffic tickets. Right. And that was my impression. And in small town where I was from, why they were not of the highest caliber people anyhow so uh no offense to small town cops out there i probably shouldn't have said that but back in the the 60s and the 50s oh, they, right, they yeah. did not spend a lot of money for their police officers and uh so i don't know i, I you know, start seeing these tv shows about cops and you know detectives then i uh then they were hired on the kansas city police department they had a big push and they they actually did uh, you know you know the show Cops don't you Oh yeah of course Well well they did an early version of Cops before there was a show of Cops they had a reporter go out and do a ride along to the police officer and then they as a uh, marketing uh, kind of a hiring tool to get guys interested to come on because they wanted to hire 350 new police officers they got a big they passed a whole tax, special tax, just to hire a whole bunch more, whole bunch more police officers. And so I watched that, and look, I thought, boy, that looks like fun. And because I still wanted to be a cowboy, <laughs> and you know, they, instead of a horse, they give you a Plymouth Fury. Instead of a uh, lever action and a Colt Peacemaker, they give you a Smith and Wesson Model Fifty Nine and a, and a uh, bump action shotgun. And but you still get to go out and go after the bad guys. So. Yeah, in a sense, you know, the Clint Eastwood movies are kind of true in the sense that it's like a old, you know, bad guy in the old West, but he's just trying to be like yeah. a law a lawmaker and make sure that things go the right way. And but it looked upon as just maybe a scary person, which I think a lot of people, especially these days, look at at police as being scary. And I've always had a lot of respect for him, but at the same time, you you never know who you're dealing with, just like you know, walking by someone on the street. Yeah, that's true. And like it is any occupation, there's uh, uh, whether it's lawyers or uh, radio hosts or uh, uh, you know clerks or uh, mm -hmm. factory workers or doctors or whatever. There's a certain percentage that aren't any good. There's a certain percentage are, are just lazy and hell, and, and they just barely show up. There's a certain percentage that show up and do a halfway decent job. There's a certain percentage that show up and do a great job. So, <laughs> like it's just like any other profession, really. Yeah, that's true. And um, you're, I still see you're just kicking butt with Gangland Wire. You got a, you're podcasting now, and kind of all this starting from a documentary. I mean, how how have things been since 2013 with Gangland Wire? Well, <laughs> it's uh, it's been going good actually. See, uh, 2013, I released that first movie, and then 2016, I, I blogged for a while and had a website. And I was blogging and 
and then in, in 2016, I decided to do the podcast. I podcast started getting popular, and I think I was the first mob podcast out there. There, there seemed like there might have been another guy, and I don't think he lasted. I'm not sure, but uh, uh, he kind of acted like he was a gangster. He was said a New York accent. And oh yeah. He had kind of a I don't know. It, it, it wasn't the most professionally run show as it might is, but I, I at least made some effort to make it sound like a professionally run show. And I and then my first co-host had some radio experience, so it was, uh, you know, we, we had pretty decent production values. And, and we started telling stories. I started telling stories from my career and other things I knew about the Kansas City mob. But after about four or five, kind of running out of that, and then I started researching other mob stories and started finding uh, – People, you know, reformed mobsters who had written books, uh, informants like Red Wimet, uh, who had written a book. He was my first uh, kind of phone-in guest, I believe. I, back then, we phoned in before we had Zoom. Now, now I do Zoom with everybody. But Red Wimet, I don't know. I, I had this FBI agent friend of mine, Bill Lousy, that lived in Kansas City. And, and he's a real local Kansas City mob historian, as well as he was the uh, case agent for the uh, the Strawman case, which is the, the Las Vegas skimming case, that, and he was in my movie, Gangland Wire, about that, the documentary about that case. But he, like, he knows everything about the mob in Kansas City, clear back to the Black Hand Bay. So he would come on, and, and we'd do, I'd do a show with him periodically about mob history in Kansas City. And, then, you know, and since then, as you know, and anybody that pays any attention knows, is there's more and more... Uh, Retired agents, cops, uh, people in witness protection, uh, people who uh, were just informants or, or actually agents. I read was but really an informant. He was more like a contract agent. Agents like that are writing books, and you know everybody that writes a book wants to get the word out. And so on. there's kind of an unending source of, of people about mob with mob information firsthand. You know from the mouths of the men that did it. And I like trying to do that. It's hard to do, but I, I like trying to do that. You know, someone I've spoke to, we were supposed to do an interview, but I never got it set up, that has a huge mob connection that I, I love just exchanging emails with, was Michael Francisi. Oh, yeah. And get him on there. He's big time now. Boy, those guys, Francisi and Sonny Sammy the Bull with Gravano, yeah. they're making big money with their YouTube. They're mainly YouTube. I don't know if they even... Yeah, um, Sonny, I mean, Sonny, the other one, uh, Sammy the Bull has a, a podcast. I'm not sure about Francise, but they mainly are, are on YouTube, and they have huge followings. They really, they're making good money at that. They're making a real good living. Oh, yeah. It just amazes me that uh, organized crime, being that it's always in La Cosa Nostra and just keeping your mouth freaking shut, has always been like the mob's credo. And to have these guys, you know, feel safe enough to come out. Um, I had, I've had Robert Mazur on my show a couple of times. He was deep undercover. And uh, it's just amazing to think that those guys just really can't show their faces sometimes anymore for fear of being murdered. Yeah, well, back in the day, that was true. But it doesn't seem to be so true today. I can't remember the last mob. last mob murder I remember in the United States was done by a... Uh, uh, a uh, mentally ill person who, for some reason, had tried to get a date with that Gambino boss's 
daughter and she turned him down and he went over to their house and he's the one that that uh, said he was going to arrest him and take him in and, and the guy like you know what is this and he ends up shooting him I can't remember his name now it seemed like it was Khaled but not sure and then this kid and when they go in court he's like written something about Trump on his hand and showing it to the camera so that's oh, the last geez. that's been three or four years ago I, I just can't remember the last mob murders they don't they got smart and they quit murdering people because there's, there's just no percentage that just draws too much heat yeah, there was, um, I'm thinking, well, Whitey Bulger was murdered, and I guess, I don't know if that was maybe mob-related, but it, with his career, yeah. and then maybe, like, uh, I, I was thinking it was early 2020, there was somewhere on the East Coast where there was, like, a mob hit or something that I had read about happening, like, wow, this is amazing to read about in, yeah. in these days. And I, I don't remember that one, but I'm, I'm sure there was, I, but that's, you know, that was two years ago, and the, yeah. the, the Bulger thing, I... I talked to a guy who, uh, Chickatelli, who knew that guy, those brothers, uh, Freddie Geese, and I can't remember his brother's name, but the one that was charged with killing Whitey, and, and you know, in his opinion, that you know, they were just trying to, uh, that was just so kind of a, you know, I got nothing to lose, so I'm going to make a name for myself. Right, kind of yeah. That's and it's sad. I mean, even though Whitey Bulger was a big POS, it was still like a near ninety year old man getting beat to death. Just reading that to me was like, man, that's that's it's just some bit, some semblance of sadness in a in a near ninety year old man getting beat to death. <laughs> yeah, really. That's, it's a cold world those guys live in. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, let's see here. You you've been around Kansas City your I'd say almost your whole life, correct? What's, um, you know, being from law enforcement and doing this undercover work, what's kind of the craziest thing you've seen? Of course, we've talked about um, the, the bus that led, kind of led to the events of Casino, and I think that's a, a big thing people talk about. But is there anything besides that that might a lot, not a lot of people may know about that you saw that just sticks out in your mind? Oh, let me think. Uh, they, uh, I think maybe the, uh, there was... Uh, there was a mob war. I did a, I did a second mob documentary called Brothers Against Brothers about the Savella brothers, Carl and uh, Nick Savella, who was our, was our boss until he died. And there's these four upstart brothers. Their last name was Spiro, S-P-E-R-O. And in the course of this mob war, they were trying to kill the, the Savellas or uh, Tuffy de Luna, their underbosses, who they really wanted to kill. And because Nick Savella had ordered the murder of their oldest brother, you know, if you set out to kill one brother, you better be ready to kill them all. It's like the this, Spilatro this brothers. You know, they maybe only wanted Tony that day when they killed him in Bensonville, Illinois, but they've got Michael in there and, and, and killed them both because it, it was just, you didn't want to leave one brother out there if you're going to take one of them out. So they, they, the spirit, the Savellas left these three other brothers out, and one of them, the youngest, Carlsboro, was a real, he, he, he was a real go-getter and a, a real deal professional criminal uh, who could have been a mob boss, and he kind of wanted to be. He had ambition. His other two brothers were not. They were just kind of dunces that followed along. Teamsters, what kind of low-level, worked on the docks and things like that. One of them had gotten a job as a Teamsters business agent, I believe. But they, they started this war, and, and what a lot of people don't know about is, is there were some bombings at the end of it. I won't go into the whole thing, 
get my movie, Brothers Against Brothers. You can rent it on Amazon for dollar ninety nine to a little plug for myself there to, to see it. But but as you got close to the end, there was uh, there was a, a car dealer who was a real good friend and supporter of the Spiro brothers, and and he found an unexploded bomb underneath his car. Mm. And it had like a case of dynamite. I mean, he had enough, di- had enough dynamite underneath that car to blow up the whole block. And, and they kind of messed it up. And, and then about a month later, this Carl Spiro, the youngest brother, who was already in a wheelchair because they shot him and, and, and crippled him, and, and he was still out, you know, doing things in, in a wheelchair. His nephew was staying overnight with him. He came out and he looked underneath the, his uncle's car was parked outside and he sees something and so he comes and Carl comes out he goes and gets his uncle and he comes out and they had a uh, something up underneath his car with a wire leading out of that up and then taped on the side of the car uh, on the side away from the house and it had a mercury switch in it now mercury switch whenever that car was jostled the mercury would then make contact between two uh, wires and it would set off the dynamite. Well, there was like, oh, there was like 28 sticks of dynamite underneath his car, enough to take out that old house. And and there were little kids and stuff in that house. It mm-hmm. was, that would have been horrendous. And, and then in the end, it, so you know they call ATF and the bomb squad and all that. And they come up, and they defuse that bomb. And it's the same bomb makers as the one that failed to go off underneath the the first car, the the associate's car. And, and about a year later, finally, Carl goes into his low-use car lot, and they've got another one of these huge bombs. It must have been a case of dynamite underneath this. It was a used car business, and it was like a a, a shack. Uh, maybe it was a, a trailer, but I think it was I think it was just like a, like a big shack was his office. What wasn't a great big thing, but but when he went inside and sat down. He had a ramp, and he'd wheel that chair in there, and he, he sits down at his desk, and, and he just had, he just called his or his sister-in-law, uh, who's, who was married to his brother who had been killed by then, because he's the last one standing, uh, calls, and just as she gets him on the phone, the phone goes dead. And, and we're, we're not sure if it was wired to the phone or we think somebody was sitting up the street and with a remote control device, anyhow, there was about a toy case of dynamite underneath him, blew him and his wheelchair clear up through the roof, out into the parking lot out in front, and, and just there was nothing left of that shack. It was almost like a cartoon bomb that went off and blew everything mm. up and, and blew the, you know, the wily coyote up out of the, and, and lands out in the street somewhere, only it, this was, he was in pieces when he landed. A friend of mine was there, was walking through the lot, and he said, I, I, you know, he was in Dom and Arson Squad, and they were doing a crime scene. He mm-hmm. said he saw something look like a, like a cigar laying there, and he, and he bent over. It was just a, it was a, an anomaly, you know, that's what those crime scene guys are doing. They're looking for an anomaly, and he bent over, and he said, well, what is this? And he picks it up, and, and then he realizes... Was rolled up, so he unrolls it, and he sees a tattoo on it. So it was a piece of, of Spiro's skin with the tattoo on it laid up there. Mm. So that, those are not real well-known uh, uh, activities that happened here. Yeah, that's uh, that makes you uh, that makes a person go. I don't know if I want to be a cop. <laughs> really? 
Just like I think I'm just gonna interview cops on a podcast and then be friends with them, but not want to. I don't want to see that. <laughs> like I, I feel like even the worst horror movie that I'd just be like, yeah, I think I'm done with this. That's that's when you turn on the Wiley Coyote. You're like, yes, I need some fake uh, pain and torture. Some fake kind of death and destruction. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what's the future got going for you, Gary? I know. Um, Gosh, it's been a while since you've done Dark History Con. I may have to nudge Brian into getting you back up there. But what uh, what are yeah, you doing yeah, these days? I think he's still doing that. Um, I, I, I thought about that. I even talked to him last year a little bit on internet, and I just didn't ever pull the trigger on it. I get busy doing other things. I I did another movie uh, called Ballot Theft, Burglary, Murder, and Cover Up. That was about a, a rigging of a nineteen forty six primary election in Kansas City, and the mob in connection with a uh, local political organization called the Pendergast Organization rigged an election to keep a guy from getting reelected. And uh, they got caught, and some of them, one of them went to jail. So it was, it was an interesting story, and and I don't know. You know I'm, I'm thinking about and This might be something I would talk to Brian about. I am working right now on a couple of movie documentaries about Kansas City crimes, and one of them in particular is a real horror crime. I've never gone into the horror crime, but I, I wanted to do another documentary, and I didn't really know what uh, what path to go down organized crime-wise. I've covered kind of all the important stuff, and I didn't really want to go way back in history like that 1946 uh, story. But uh, there's a, we had a serial, serial killer here named Bob Berdella. And if you're in the serial killer culture, if you like the serial killer genre, the horror crime genre, you might, probably would know this name, Bob Berdella. He's not as famous as John Wayne Gacy, he, but he is exactly like John Wayne Gacy. The, the parallels were amazing. And he, uh, and so I'm working on a documentary about him. And, and at the same time, I'm working on a second one with some guys about a real famous kidnapping that happened here in 1953 that was a horror crime in itself because they kidnapped this little boy and took him right out and killed him and buried his body mm. and then started trying to uh, get the ransom from the uh, from the father and mother. And, and it's kind of a little, little, little more involved story than, than what I just told you. They end up going to St. Louis with the money. They get $500,000. They go to St. Louis. And they got, they're both drunks, and, and the guy starts throwing money around like a drunken sailor, and, mm -hmm. and he's using cabs, and he's, take, he's, he's hired a cab driver, just treats him like he's personal valet, and just, you know, keeps shoveling money at him. But they figure that these are probably the uh, Greenlease kidnappers because they have way too much cash. So he's got a mob guy that he's connected to, so he tells the mob guy in St. Louis, a guy named Joe Costello, who then gets a crooked policeman with the St. Louis PD to go arrest the, uh, the man that's throwing the money around, and they leave the money unguarded, and, and somehow when the, there's $500,000 in the ransom, but by the time it's counted in the police department, there's only $250,000 left, Ooh. and there, nobody ever knew whatever happened. Wow, well, it seems like you got a lot on your plate, Gary. Yeah, 
to keep busy. I've kind of got this podcasting thing down. I can knock out a podcast pretty easily. And uh, I'm getting, getting enough donations and stuff that, that uh, I hire somebody to edit it for me. I don't have to spend quite so much time in, in the editing phase and, and, and throw it up. So that gives me some extra time. Absolutely. During the last documentary I did, last two, I've done three now, especially during the last two. I've kind of built up a team here at Kansas City. People that want to be involved in this and like to do this kind of stuff. And so I'm getting quite a little bit of help doing that. Well, that's always nice. And before we go, where can people find Gangland Wire and you know the podcast or the documentary? Give everyone the 411 on all that. Well, I'll tell you what, if, if you just Google Gangland Wire and Gary Jenkins, but it's, I have a website, www.ganglandwire.com. The podcast is called Gangland Wire, so any podcast app, just search in that for Gangland Wire, that will come up. I have a YouTube channel, and I've been putting a little more work into because I've got these videos from doing Zoom interviews, and, and I didn't used to pay much attention to the YouTube channel, and I've also been putting... Uh, real wiretaps up, little short snippets from the wiretaps that uh, they took, they recorded during the skimming investigation. So I've been uploading those on my YouTube channel, and it's called Gangland Wire. Well, that's pretty simple then. Gangland Wire, wherever you, uh, yeah, Gangland just, Wire, you're Gangland Wire. Just start searching for Gangland Wire, whether it's a podcast, a, a movie, a, a website, or a. a, a, a whatever the other thing was. I don't even remember now. I'd like to do a shout-out to, to my friend Bob Wesley, a, a friend of mine, a retired commander on the police department that I worked for for a period of time. So uh, I, put, I put up that nice uh, meme that you did uh, uh, advertising the show, and I put it up on mine. He was uh, messaged me, wanted to know how to find your show. So I and so pretty soon he messaged me back, and, and I said, well, I'll get you a link for sure. It'll be up there. And, and uh, he said, oh, I think I found it. So uh, shout out to Bob Wesley. He was a great commander. He's a straight-shooting guy. Uh, he, was, he was tough, though, man. He was tough. Weren't you, Bob? So anyhow, that's, that's my only shout out there. Well, I'd, I'd call it a flyer, not really a meme, but I guess that's probably just the... They're a flyer, yeah. Memes are, I mean, memes a new terminology to me. So to you, that's got to be out of the wheel well. Yeah, I just I just think of a meme is like something you put up as a as an image on Facebook or social media that try that says something. <laughs> I'm yeah, probably absolutely. totally misconstruing that, but yeah, it doesn't matter. Oh, no, that's right. Well, yeah, Bob sounds like someone I'd, I'd be a good interview. <laughs> he might be. <laughs> All righty, well, Gary. Well, well, after, well, uh, he, uh, after he listens to this, why well, uh, you'll probably get hold of me. <laughs> yeah, I hope I hope so. Well, thank you so much for giving me. Uh, Another time of the day. It's always nice uh, catching up with you, and I hope to see you hopefully at Dark History Con this year. Okay. All right. Nice talking to you. All righty. Have a good night, Gary. All right. Good night. Right. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, guys. Big thanks to Gary Jenkins, and we'll be back the next time we see you. Thanks for listening. Have a great night. This is professional wrestler Jimmy Vida. Booker Walker, man, tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare. Don't you dare miss this one. Clover Leaf Radio with Jimmy Falcon. Oh, yeah.